you've got a heart condition or, you know, just general anxiety, this probably isn't the game for you to recap. This probably might not be the team for you to follow because Penn State has made it very, very interesting over the last couple of weeks. But here they are, 6-2, and 3-2 and two in the Big Ten, wrapping up a win over Iowa, a pretty big win over Iowa if you look at the big picture. 30-24 to 24 at Beaver Stadium on Saturday afternoon. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. It's Tyler Donahue. We were in the press box watching it. Still not really sure what we watched, but uh, certainly good for Penn State to bring home that win. Yeah, and Sean won that for a while there towards the end. Looked like it could be setting up for a heartbreaking defeat on home turf. That would have been three straight. But this has been the theme at Beaver Stadium this year. You better stick around to the end. Hope folks enjoyed that Kent State game or they could, you know, take a lap around the stadium, maybe head back out to the tailgate in the third or fourth quarter because the App State game set the tone week one and the last three Big Ten contests that have come to Happy Valley. We've had to watch all 60 minutes to figure out how they were going to turn out. Just incredibly disjointed this week. Everything was. I mean, I looked over at you at one point. You were missing like an earpiece on your glasses. Um, It was not ideal for you. Uh, It was not ideal for Penn State the way that they started. I mean, really, what the hell was that, man? The 12-0, you've got two safeties incurred against you via snaps on special teams. Um, it's you know, You're looking for something to hang your hat on in terms of an identity for Penn State. And, and you come up for air there early in the second quarter, late first quarter, and, and you're just wondering, you know, where is this game headed? And to, to think that it was going to end up being a 30-24 to 24 game at that stage, you know, I think a lot of credit goes to the defense. We'll get into that. Um, but you throw in the fact that within a couple minutes there in the second quarter, your starting quarterback, you know, your franchise guy at this point um, is on the sideline trying to test out a knee injury. And wow, for a while there, I will say, Sean, it seemed like it was going to be a worst case scenario situation for Penn State. You know, good on them for, for finding their footing, but uh, a disastrous way to come back out in front of a home crowd that was really anxious to see a, a positive start from this team after the Michigan State game and the Ohio State game. It was just all over the place. Uh, Iowa played a very Iowa game, as several people have mentioned, starting with the safety, then a field goal, then a touchdown pass on sort of a fake field goal, whatever it was. It was a gadget play uh, to a defensive lineman. Just so much Iowa, and Kirk Ferentz usually wins those games. Um, Penn State sort of held strong. Uh, they scored the touchdown to Friermuth, a very good throw by a uh, very good touch pass by McSorley. And then another safety, uh, Tommy Stevens is in the game all of a sudden with the injury to trace and the field goal you know it's just it was so crazy to watch that game you're sitting there at halftime 17 17 and really absolutely no reason that 17 17 should have been the score it looked a lot cleaner on the scoreboard than it did on the field at that point and 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 quite frankly you look at what iowa did they, they probably accomplished about everything they wanted to except for getting quality quarterback play just didn't happen for them now you look at Nate Stanley 18 of 49 passing again tip your cap to the Penn State defense but I think that was really the 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 big thing here Iowa could have maybe potentially gained some separation instead they lose a game in which they get a pick six touchdown they get a couple of safeties um, and and they're able to you know ultimately really keep the quarterback in check that you want to do except for that long run and we'll talk about that but Iowa checked a lot off its list. They didn't come away with the win. And and you just wonder, um, you know, do we know more about Penn State heading into week nine, heading into the, uh, the last third of this season than we did before Saturday's kickoff? Or is it still, you know, questions abound? 
I think there's there, there's certainly questions abound. Um, I think I think we know more about this team, and and I don't want to talk too much about Iowa, but you know they kind of exposed Iowa for what it is in terms of a, an offense that's not going to beat you. And with the Big Ten West the way it is, with Northwestern beating Wisconsin the other day, that's still fairly wide open. But I you know I don't think Iowa's the team, the six and one team that we saw, and, and we kind of touched on that last week. You just weren't sure what you were going to get out of them, and then all of a sudden they come in. Nate Stanley was was bad. I mean he was. Uh, he, he made a, a couple decent throws, but for the most part, I mean, that was uh, that was not what you were looking for from a guy who I think opened the year with 12 touchdowns in the first two weeks or something like that. So um, it was, uh, it, it was I think, Penn State fortunate to be where they were. Um, they came down the field in the second half, did what they had to do, got a big play from K.J. Handler. Then they gave it right back. And then they, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a team that uh, is, I think, Talent-wise is good, probably not as deep as we thought they would be entering the season at a lot of different positions, looking at that defensive line specifically. Um, but, uh, you know, there's resiliency there. And Trace McSorley, I mean, you can throw all the cliches you want out to him. James Franklin said after the game the other night, he's earned the right to say, I can go back in and I want to go back in. And he absolutely has done that. But uh, man, the, 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 the way he kind of put this team on his shoulders, that touchdown run was as good of a call as, and as well blocked as we've seen this year from, from any Penn state play. Um, but man, it's just a, such a crazy game. And to top it off, I had the baby shark song in my head all we or all game, which just makes that game even more dreadful to, to follow. So, um, you know, it, it just was, was sort of disjointed everywhere, including up in the box. There are so many details to, to kind of, you know, and rocks to turn over and, and wonder how we got into that point where it was 30 to 24, because this game had so many different momentum swings and, and moments where either team could have capitalized on and, and put the game away. You know, Iowa early, uh, could have really established itself more uh, off those costly Penn State mistakes. And then you look at Penn State, they had opportunities to make this a three-possession game. A fumble near the goal line derails that. Uh, but yeah, Trace McSorley, you know, fortunately got to speak with him, multiple players. Franklin was very candid about it after the game. And, and coming away from it, I thought I was going to be writing about all this, you know, you know what went down, you know, in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter. Everything, though, for me came down to what happened for Trace McSorley between the moment he was taken down for a sack and, and got his knee caught up. Uh, we're, not, we're not sure what the actual injury is, but certainly came out with, with a brace in the second half. But there was some serious discussion about whether they were going to, to lean on him and get him back out there because Franklin said, no, I want Trace McSorley, but I don't want uh, half of what Trace McSorley brings to the table. I want the dual threat Trace McSorley. Otherwise, you know, it sounded like they were very comfortable to go to Tommy Stevens. Tommy Stevens was there and ready for his moment if that showed up. You know, KJ Hamler even went up to, to Trace McSorley. He said, uh, don't risk it because no one knew how serious this, this, this injury was. And KJ basically said, if you're not Superman tonight, we'll find a way. Trace McSorley, four plays after he gets back on the field in the second half, goes 51 yards for a touchdown. And by the way, while all of this is going on, uh, the, you know, the kind of the crux of the story we had up on the site, Lions 24-7, was Trace McSorley uh, finding the time to speak with his father, Rick, uh, leaning over from the stands, uh, first row of the bleachers. First it was his sister, Michaela. Then it was his father. They share a moment. You know, they're surrounded by all these these fans of Beaver Stadium, but I have to imagine it was an extremely personal moment for both of them. And and Trace got a little bit emotional talking about that. And so for a game that was ultimately defined by a lot of follies on the football field, I think that gutsy effort, gritty effort, both of these cliches were thrown out several times after the game by reporters and by players alike. 
that's what I will take away from this game. Is, you know, put another one um, in the legacy for Trace McSorley. It wasn't pretty. Uh, there's a lot of passes I'm sure he'd like to get back. Uh, but I'll tell you what, this is one that you remember. You don't care what happened in the box score. You just remember that long run, the go-ahead touchdown. Penn State never trailed again. And, man, you just can't replace leadership like this easily at, at any stage of college football or NFL or high school football. And, you know, what a, a player that Penn State has here for now just four more Big Ten football games. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about what is this team and how do we know this team. Well, this team is going to go as Trace goes and, and nothing against Tommy. And I thought Tommy looked pretty pretty good when he got in there. The, he should have had the deep completion to Polk. Uh, but uh, we'll get into probably get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, you go as Trace goes he goes to the sideline the only the only I think criticism I have probably shouldn't have gone back in in the first half he looked pretty shell-shocked in terms of uh figuring out how to get enough power off that back leg and and, and going through and I think through three straight incompletions um but uh it's uh it, it, it's something where you know just how far can this guy carry you and with the playoffs essentially off the table and those rankings will come out tonight and Penn State should be in the lower teens I'm guessing or you know middle teens um but uh yeah, I mean it's it's as far as this guy is going to take you, and only with a couple, or excuse me, with only a couple games left. I mean, you have to ride that as long as you can. Um, it totally missed our players of the game. Trace is, is my offensive player of the game. I don't see why you could go in a different direction. Penn State's offense not overly potent, but uh, more efficient than we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I guess I don't know if it's more efficient or less disjointed than we've seen in the last couple of weeks. K.J. Hamler, once again, the big play guy, had the big catch in the late in the third quarter. And DeAndre Tompkins definitely earned special mention here. Five catches for 59 yards. Uh, tough catches. I mean, not not uh, not wide open streaking down the, the middle of the field or anything like that. But, I mean, moved the sticks when they needed to. Went to him in the four-minute drill where he got a first down for them. And, and, and he caught the football, which is, you know, simple but effective. Yeah, McSorley is a no-doubt-about-it pick for offensive player of the game. I'm sure James Franklin will, will read relay similar information for us uh, at the uh, press conference Tuesday afternoon. Um, but uh, but I think when you look at DeAndre Tompkins, maybe we had to carve out something special this week. How about comeback player of the game? Because DeAndre Tompkins had three catches in the first four Big Ten games. He was directly in the center of a lot of the, the conversation about this passing game and, and what was going on at the receiver position and the lack of production. We focused on him uh, you know, and, and that lack of production quite a bit on this podcast. Um, but he comes out here, five catches. You know, <laughs> that, That's obviously a great sign, but you read between the numbers a little bit. Three of those receptions move the chains for first downs. Uh, he starts off that final Penn State possession. Um, you know, they're, they're not able to milk the entire clock, but they're able to get a first down and that goes to DeAndre Tompkins. So he was counted on in crucial moments when they went to a two wide receiver set. He was the guy out there along with KJ Hamler. And we've known, you know, regardless of the production, DeAndre Tompkins, DeAndre Tompkins is going to go out there and block on the perimeter. He's very good at that. It's something that, uh, you know, to his credit, even when the passes weren't coming his way, even when they were being dropped, you can count on him as a perimeter blocker. And he was the guy who handled the one-man Trace McSorley had to beat down the sidelines. He did a great job shielding off that defender, a cornerback for Ohio, for Iowa. Got to the end zone and celebrated with Trace McSorley. And what a kind of a, a vindication moment that must have been for McSorley, who had to have some self-doubt creeping in um, following that knee issue. 
And then for Tompkins, who, you know, as, again, as he, he's, he knows there's noise out there, and, but he's been working behind the scenes, and he ends up getting over 40 snaps. And I know James Franklin, you know, didn't want to call it uh, a reinvest or, or any kind of really an investing on Tompkins for the specific, specific case because they've always believed in him. But you look at his production over the course of this season, particularly in Big Ten play, this was the kind of game that shows you, hey, you know, maybe this is a senior that's ready to step up and be a factor. And I think his performance was a big reason why the passing game itself didn't look as disjointed as we've seen it during recent weeks. He was not having the reinvest talk when you asked him about that. He wasn't other. interested in it, and, and I should have probably known better. But, you know, for, for, from the outside looking in, this felt like a game where it was now or never for, for these receivers, and we probably said the same thing before against Indiana. But it really felt like if they went out there and Tompkins and Polk combined for one catch, you, you, it just can't be sustainable. This was a game where Tompkins, you know, shows what he's about, um, and surely, you know, a, a moment for him where he can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief and, and get into a big game at Michigan. And, and obviously, Trace McSorley, that that trust is huge with Tompkins, and and he showed it again. Uh, you know, despite the talk about you know the drops, he looked Tompkins' way when it really counted late in that game. He looked Tompkins' way more than anyone else. Nine targets on the week, which I assume is going to be a season high for Tompkins. I haven't gone back through and checked, but seven targets for K.J. Hamler, three for Pat Fryermuth, and and two for Jahan Dotson. Those are the only four guys that caught a pass. And when you talk about this offense over the last year or two, you're talking seven, eight, nine guys catching passes in, in the game. We thought last week that Miles Sanders would be a little bit more involved in the passing game. He had two targets, no catches. Brandon Polk, two targets, no catches. Juwan uh, John and I think it looked pretty clear that he's uh, still dealing with that injury. I think he ran one ra- or had one target and then left the game and didn't come back in. And Matt Kippenhammer also had a target. But Penn State, 13 of 29 passing for 194 yards. Not going to win a ton of Big Ten games like that, but they uh, certainly yeah, hit those big ones when they had to. Jahan Dotson had a big fourth down catch, moved the sticks for him. And, you know, he's a, he's a guy that I think you can probably let that red shirt fly because he's played in three games so far. You're going to need him in, in situations if he's going to be one of the guys stepping up and catching the ball, which they haven't gotten from anyone. Brandon Polk, another you know uh, questionable week, I would say, especially for the deep ball that he should have from Tommy Stevens. So uh, Jahan Dotson stepped up in a big way, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, no, Dotson got 15 snaps, and, and you know I was doing my best to count as the game was progressing. And, and you know, it, it was very obvious once you got into kind of the third quarter that they wanted to really lean on their starters in this game. And in this game, for the first time, that starting combination was Brandon Polk, DeAndre Tompkins, and K.J. Hamler. Um, now, now, Juwan Johnson, at, at that point, you know, he was warming up when those starters were announced. We saw him on the field early, as you referenced. Didn't look like he was where he needed to be at. Um, so we didn't see much of him. I think he got 10 snaps on the day. And Franklin said that will be evaluated as as the, you know, the week progresses. He may or may not be available against Michigan. We'll find out that in the days ahead. But I think w- with Polk, Tompkins, and Hamler both getting 35-plus snaps, didn't leave a lot of room. But who was the next man up? Mac Hippenhammer and Jahan Dotson. So a very limited sample size of Sullivan Brown. I thought, you know, I actually thought that was more surprising than not seeing a guy like Daniel George or Justin Shorter as a freshman in this game. I thought it was more surprising seeing the redshirt freshman uh, Cam Sullivan-Brown limited to one series because out of all those young players, he seemed to be making the most notable strides in production uh, during the last couple of weeks off the bye. 
Well, I think they rode the hot hand. They moved Tompkins to the X during the week because you weren't sure what you were going to get out of Juwan Johnson. So moved Tompkins to the X, started him over Sullivan Brown. And I guess, you know, he, he certainly looked his way a bunch um, uh, throughout the game. So uh, speaking of disjointed, we're, we're still in our players of the week. And we, we got a sh- shout out to the defense here because they were they, they did exactly what they needed to do. Iowa 24 points, but all that came from special teams and defense and, you know, Penn State miscues and, and things things like that. So um, the defense was good. Uh, Yitor Gross Matos was the best. I mean, I don't think there's any question about it. Nine tackles, four tackles for loss, two sacks, Big Ten defensive player of the week, well-deserved. And, uh, you know, he's playing at a really, really high level right now. Yeah, a weekly Big Ten award for for Etor Gross Matos, and and I think he is definitely building the case for a, a season uh, award, a Big Ten stature. You know, all conference kind of player here uh, of late. Uh, Seventeen tackles the past two weeks, both of those weeks leading the team in tackles in those respective games. But it's what he's doing in the backfield that is really special. Six tackles for loss in two games, and now back to back games with a pair of sacks. He's got six sacks on the season. I think he is very clearly the emerging star on the defensive side of the football. I think we all have high expectations for Micah Parsons, who again was counted on during the the most important defensive series of the game. He was out in the field. But, to, you know, you look at this sophomore and Itor Gross Matos putting it together uh, and, and looking fluid out there now off the edge and setting that edge. I think what player's trajectory is pointing most upward on that defense, it's got to be this young man. And, and you got to be really excited if, if you're if you're Sean Spencer, uh, knowing that, you know, the work they've invested in Etor and the mental stuff they were trying to get him on board with into September this year clearly has all come together. And, and the end result, or, or at least what we see now, and, and we'll see what the end result looks like, that's a scary thought. But what we see now is one of the best defensive linemen in, in conference action. The defensive ends have, have really stepped up in the last couple of weeks. Of course, Shaka Tony with four sacks against Indiana. I think Sharif Miller, uh, and I've said it probably 10 times with him this season, playing better than the box score would indicate. He got to Nate Stanley in the last play of the game um, that ended up being the last play of the game. Should have been a sack. Stanley made a really nice play turning around, throwing it to his right tackle, I believe, who just rumbled downfield for 25 yards in one of the more entertaining uh, last plays of the game from an offensive lineman that you'll see. Um, but Beyond uh, Gross Matos, uh, Nick Scott had the pick down at the goal line, which obviously was another Iowa miscue that, that Penn State took advantage of. Uh, Nick Scott, who has had trouble falling on the ball, catching the ball, doing, you know, just uh, just having the ball in his possession. It came up big at a big time. Um, certainly a, a big play for Penn State. Cam Brown still continues to be Penn State's best linebacker. And Ellis Brooks didn't play a ton of snaps, but when he was in there, you noticed. Yeah, you did. And, and, and someone else who, who you're really starting to notice come on, um, John Reed. I mean, he's a guy who certainly you didn't know what to expect week to week through the first five, six games, maybe all the way into the bye week. And he had some highs and lows coming off of his injury, missing all of the 2017 season. But here he is, you know, in the most important stretch of Big Ten play. He's looking that part again, Sean. You know, three pass breaks up, breakups, nearly takes that interception back for a touchdown, put, sets them up on the doorstep. Tommy Stevens punches it in for a touchdown the very next play. So, uh, you know, that's a game-changing kind of play, and, and he's been an excellent open field tackler the last couple of weeks as well, working on that part of his craft. And I think you talk about how the defensive end group has come together. You feel pretty good about this cornerbacks group. Each of these guys have improvements to make in their own regard, but you're looking at a group that, in my opinion, you feel really good about where it is four deep. 
Yeah, especially because they, they run a lot of two tight end sets with Iowa's uh, game plan. You threw John Reed in, uh, in the nickel on Noah Fant, who obviously is much bigger than him and, and terrific tight end. I was very impressed with Noah Fant the other night. Um, but it's uh, and it's one of those things where John Reed has has earned back that trust. Uh, the pick wasn't the most amazing play, but I mean, it, he, he made the play when he had to, brought it all the way back, and they got the touchdown that they desperately needed. John Reed said after the game, you know, he kind of feels, you know, a little bit better than his 2016 form right now. I think a little bit more uh, consistency throughout the year will prove that to be right. But uh, they're putting him back out there at nickel. Donovan Johnson only got a couple of snaps the other day. And uh, I think that's that's probably a good sign. You want to lean on those three starting corners that that, that you have. And um, I think it, they all came up big in their own sort of way last week. And, and, and certainly it was uh, encouraging for Terry Smith and those guys because they, they, they shut it down when they had to. Granted, I was passing game, not the most potent that the they'll see this year but uh they they shut it down and did well uh one more time uh, special teams i don't think there's any question here jake pinnegar was well, he was money i mean he fourth or excuse me three field goals over 40 yards including a 49 yarder he's from iowa you could have written it as the storybook type thing but he stepped up when he needed to do it hit some big big kicks for penn state jake pinnegar's come on strong i mean uh, there, there have been a lot of interesting developments since the bye week and i think one here is that uh, Jake has been a pretty reliable kicker, and the one thing we hadn't seen yet was was him being tested from long distance in key situations, uh, and, and that three times. I mean, any of those missed could really butt you in the butt later in this game, and, and he converts all three times. First time a Penn State kicker has done that from 40-plus on three occasions in a single game since 2013. Uh, and with him, you know, you, you invested a scholarship and a kicker, and and I remember people going crazy. I'm sure you heard it. Why are we wasting a scholarship on a kicker? We're trying to build this incredible 2018 class. That could go to someone else. That could go to a four- or five-star lineman. This is why you invest because you see something. You see the mental makeup, a kicker who can handle that situation. You see the the, the pure ability and a guy who's going to be dedicated to putting himself in a position of knocking those kind of kicks through. And, And he was money in this game. Uh, you know, and, and so that's a big confidence boost for him, especially going on to the road. And I think Penn State fans are very, very familiar with the kicker that that Michigan impl- implements out there. So uh, it's going to be another big test for Pinnaker. And, and but uh, he was all you could ask for in this situation on a, on a pretty ugly day overall for special teams. And that's probably putting it mildly. Uh, he was huge. And by the way, KJ Hamler with another big time kick return that sets the stage for, for offensive success. So. Uh, you know, look, another tip of the cap his way because we got to remember he's doing it in a couple phases here uh, as, as, during his breakout retro freshman campaign. So you're sitting there at halftime. It's 17 17. I think Yakety Sacks had been playing the entire first half because it was so crazy and all over the place. Trace McSorley comes back out. Pinnegar's all of a sudden reliable. You're hitting big plays to KJ Ham. The, the third quarter looked pretty good for Penn State. Uh, you know, it wasn't the, the fluid score every time you get the ball type thing, but at the same time, uh, Penn State started to. To, uh, I think just look just just look better, man. I mean, you were you were talking about a potential seventeen point lead, the very start of the fourth quarter. Um, you know, McSorley with the fifty one yard touchdown run in the third. You hit the big play to Hamlet, which which we brought up brought up a couple times, and then a fumble, and then you know it just kind of was like. Uh, here we go again. You know, it's coming It's coming down the pike. Here it is again. A pick six, which was a very, very untraced McSorley throw, decision, whatever you want to call it. Geno Stone takes it in. All of a sudden, it's a really close game. I tell you what, these teams hated momentum, just absolutely hated it 
because anytime something big happened, they just kind of, you know, sat on it. And, you know, the Iowa gets the pick six and then all of a sudden gives up a big return to, uh, to KJ Hamler. Penn State, uh, you know, did, did some things similar in the first half. And it's just, it was, it was a crazy game to watch because momentum just really just spiked all over the place. Yeah, it was a game of hot potato with momentum. You're right. And, and it's like, you know, you, you think Penn State, wow, they really put it together. And then, wow, they're going to finish this thing. Oh, no, here's a fumble. All right, get ready, buckle up, get your popcorn ready. Okay, Trace McSorley, the pick six, 10 minutes to go in the game. Again, this one's going to come down to the wire. And and with that six-point lead, and again, Jake Pinnegar, what a difference that made, 44-yard field goal with about eight and a half minutes to go in the game. Six-point lead versus a three-point lead totally changes the way Iowa has to approach things in the final stretch of this game. And I was stunned. We talked about last week how this was not – you know, the classic Iowa team that's going to just try to lean on its run game and, and just let the quarterback protect the ball as best it can. Now, Noah Stan- uh, Nate Stanley, I got to stop saying Noah Stanley. Nate Stanley goes 18 of 49 passing. That's not good enough, but his decision-making process late in the game, that was bizarre to me. First and goal from the three-yard line, uh, and they come up and throw the ball. And, and before the play, it seems like things were out of sorts for that Iowa offensive attack. They've got no timeouts left, but... Just kind of a surprising development there on first and goal. They really squandered that opportunity. And, and I just imagine, you know, if Penn State, the shoe were on the other foot, I, I can't imagine how much we'd be talking about that moment, throwing the ball, throwing an interception three yards away from a go-ahead touchdown. And, and I have to imagine that's really eating at Iowa right now because if they can convert that and come away with a huge win, uh, they're in excellent shape in the Big Ten West due to Wisconsin's loss. The masses would be insane right now if that happened to Penn State, especially you mentioned they didn't have to. They actually still did have timeouts at that point. Penn State had yet to run its four minute offense. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the next drive. That was the next drive. And that's going to get me to my next point. The four minute offense kind of worked. I mean, and and there's a there's a big old curve right there because of what we've seen against Ohio State, Michigan State, Indiana. But they mixed some run and some pass and and you made Iowa use their timeouts. You got a first down. You kept the clock running long enough to to put them in a situation where they get the ball, I think, with 102 left or or 107 left with no timeouts, have to rely on your passing game. And, you know, if if you're looking for what you're what you want and you want a couple of first downs, you want to run out the clock and you eventually want to kneel it. But hey, take, take it easy. We're not there yet. Um, but uh, it's uh, it was it was a good effort from the four minute offense. Um, certainly, you can you can parse it and 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 question a couple of the reads or whatnot. But at the same time, they did exactly what they had to do. If if Iowa was going to get the ball back, you're going to get the ball back with no timeouts and 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 not much time to work with. And end up it was uh, it was the way to go. And they started off aggressive on, on that on that situation with the four minute offense, which again has been under uh, the microscope to say the least lately. DeAndre Tompkins for a fourteen yard pickup on the first play. You you go to the air, and then you know you think, well, are they, are they going to let Trace pass the ball on a third down? Uh, you know, as third and four in that or third and five in that situation, uh, Trace ends up running the ball for one yard or no gain, and then then you're punting the ball again. But you did take some, you know, I think about two minutes off the clock there almost, and you forced more importantly I would have used three timeouts but again if you're looking for Penn State to take that step forward um, you know you don't give the ball back when when you get the ball with three minutes to go in the game you know Iowa still has a shot there makes things a little scary they get into Penn State territory there Um, but yeah I I think you know Trace McSorley said they you know he felt that it was better because they forced them to use timeouts they were able to move the chains Uh, but he knows you know if they can make them move the chains again 
uh, they're kneeling the ball a couple of times. They don't have to send the defense out there to play hero. And, and they can, it can put that one in the wind column, you know, 90 seconds earlier. Baby steps here, man. Baby steps after, after what we saw at Indiana. Oh, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a scale situation, uh, the way you're kind of assessing that. But, uh, yeah, it's a step forward. Um, and, but I'm sure, you know, Penn State, they will be the first to tell you they'd love to just put that one in their back pocket and not give the Hawkeyes a chance. But uh, few teams can, can get away with that every single week in Penn State. To, to force those three timeouts was a huge, huge moment in that game. Yeah, I thought Ricky Ronnie called a pretty good game altogether, including that two-minute drill, or excuse me, the four-minute uh, offense where, you know, they, they go to Tompkins, which you just, if you've watched this team all season, you, you're surprised by that. But he came up in a big spot, did his thing, and, and like we mentioned before, had his best game. Um, you, you look at the good stuff on the whole, uh, I think the defensive line really took a step forward. Again, not very deep. The defensive end, I think, looks really good. Robert Windsor and Kevin Givens playing a lot of snaps in addition to uh, Antonio Shelton and P.J. Mustafer, who got uh, a handful of, of, of breather snaps to get, uh, to get those guys out of there for a little bit. But Kevin Givens, zero tackles, but he, he had a profound impact on the game. Donnie Collins from Scranton tweeted this out yesterday about, you know, he, he did not have a tackle, but you looked up, and, and, and I know I said it to you several times. I mean, Kevin Givens was disruptive. He was opening things up, and I'm sure Itor Gross Matos owes a little bit of his Big Ten Player of the Week to the guy beside him. Yeah, he, it, he wasn't the guy ultimately wrapping up and bringing down the ball carrier, but there were some important moments where he was diverting them to a teammate, you know, and, and someone would try to bounce it outside, and Gross Matos would be there to clean it up and, and bring the ball carrier down. So I think Kevin Givens, you know, that's what you look for. You know, defensive tackle, if you're looking to evaluate that position in the box score, you're looking in the wrong place because um, Kevin Givens did make an impact here. Um, you know, I, and it's, it's been really impressive overall, I think, you know, f- from a physical standpoint to see Givens and Windsor shoulder a lot of the load there at defensive tackle now through two thirds of this season. Obviously, Givens suspended for the opener, but those guys have played a lot of snaps. You know, I haven't seen them kind of get worn down to this point. thought they held up well. And, and by the way, you talk about the trenches a little bit here. Um, you know, Iowa's defensive line was as good as advertised. They had a hard time running against them. But I thought overall, um, the Penn State offensive line did a pretty solid job neutralizing that group. And it feels like if that situation was 2017, where the Penn State offensive line was, it would have been a much more difficult day in the Nittany Lions backfield. If you watch that touchdown run for Trace McSorley, and I know I watched it like 15 times today, that <laughs> offensive line did everything. I mean, first off, the call from Ricky Ronnie was was fantastic. Cover zero. You had the middle linebacker following Miles Sanders around. You put Miles Sanders on your right, have him block the outside linebacker. He actually sucked in two guys. You've got Connor McGovern pulling from that right guard spot. You've got Ryan Bates, Steven Gonzalez, and Michael Mennett blocking four Iowa defend, defensive linemen, which is you know something crazy. And then Trace breaks it. DeAndre Tompkins with a great block. Trace was, you know, he was obviously hurting. He was taking like two yards per stride, which I know he's not a long strider or anything, but it looks like he's just chopping up down the sideline as he as he gets down there. But uh, wonderful, like I said, as good of a call as well executed as of, of a blocking scheme as we've seen from Penn State this year, um, and it was just a, a phenomenal play. Um, Going to switch gears here, talk a little bit about the wideouts. Several different combinations out there, as James Franklin said that they would, so they they stuck to their word on that one. Uh, just the key 
ingredient there was always KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler was was a guy that always seemed to be on the field, whether you put him out there with Tompkins and Polk or Hippenhammer and Cam Sullivan Brown or or Jahan Dotson. Hamler's the guy you want out there. He's obviously your, your most reliable receiver. He's your big play guy. And uh, as a redshirt freshman, I know we've talked about him probably too much and you know that's that's debatable but he's he's your guy out there and as a redshirt freshman he's commanded that attention yeah if you think we talked about kj hamler too too much so far the last thing he said to me you know i I was kind of one of the stragglers in his interview session he said next week's a homecoming so he's excited to get back to his home state of michigan Uh, a bright light to that game but he's been a guy again when it matters most he's on the football field and, and he's making plays as a kick returner or as a receiver, or diverting attention from other receivers because he's starting to earn that respect at this point in the season. You have to view him as a premier threat on this Penn State offensive attack. And, uh, you know, he was right up there around 50 snaps. He was out in the football field more than anyone else. But DeAndre Tompkins wasn't far behind. Uh, Brandon Polk wasn't too far behind Tompkins. And then there was a bit of a drop-off, as as I said earlier, beyond those three players. Hard to really, uh, you know, look too much into the Juwan Johnson uh, role in this rotation because it seemed like they were going to give him a shot to go. I guess they liked what they saw in the pregame warm-ups, and and he was a participant in practice, but – um, getting the sense there that, that they opted to shut that down once they had a small sample size of what he was going to be able to to handle physically in this game. Uh, and then beyond him, you know, Dotson, you know, really, I thought, continued to be someone that Trace McSorley showed that trust in. And, and, and McSorley said, you know, he's worked with these guys at a higher volume lately than he has at any point in the season. Uh, and by those guys, I mean the three true freshmen. And when we have had a chance to peek at practice, out of those three true freshmen, Jahan Dotson has consistently been the guy getting the most run with that varsity first team group, but whether it's, uh, you know, Trace McSorley or, or even if it's Tommy Stevens or Sean Clifford, he's been out there and involved. And, and we saw that continue. You pointed to that fourth down uh, pass completion, which on the very next play, another freshman, Pat Fryermuth is the recipient of his fourth touchdown pass in five big 10 games. So yeah, I, I think this was really the first time where you felt really good about the blend of, of veterans and young players. I think the one thing that still is a shortcoming is, uh, you know, Brandon Polk for the amount of snaps he, he's out there got to come down with more passes got to be more uh, of a guy who's going to move those chains because for him to get you know 35 plus snaps in in a game like this when you have talent at the receiver position I know Johnson's out uh, but you know you're still looking at Brandon Polk uh, to to, to produce more and I know that's maybe unfair because DeAndre Tompkins came up big in this game and people are going to say leave these veteran wide receivers alone for one week would you I'm not picking on anybody but Brandon Polk's out there a lot got to be able to come down with some passes oh no I'm right there with you I mean you've got to justify getting those reps for Polk uh you know he he has not caught the ball well in I don't know the last month or so and it's uh it's it's really cost Penn State at times and and if you're going to see Dotson get some more reps if you're going to see Hippenhammer um you know they said after the game that Hippenhammer has played all three spots so if he's going to be out there I know he's had a couple of drops but Polk has to justify being out there for as many plays as he was and and so far he has not done on that so beyond that are you, are you ready to overanalyze Tommy Stevens are we, are we there yet how much can we make of the small sample size and, and project it into 2019 it's really important for us to do this and, and let's just run away with the thing let's do it uh, his deep ball to Brandon Polk should have been caught as I said I think three times already um, it was a very very pretty deep ball he skipped one to Juwan Johnson he threw a, a nine yard completion to DeAndre Tompkins and an 18 yard completion to KJ Hamler 
So as a passer, pretty decent. I mean, you're not really sure, especially when you come into a game cold like that. And there was a question in our chat last week about Tommy Stevens versus Sean Clifford. And I said, well, you know, you really haven't seen the sample size of him throwing downfield. You've seen some of the short stuff and you've seen some of the gadgets, excuse me, the gadget stuff. But it's been uh, it's been a small sample size. He got out there. Uh, went into the game with uh, with with really not much to go off of. Was used as a runner as we expected him to be, but thought he threw the ball very well. Yeah, and uh, he also saw the field in that lion role. But I think when he's in there at quarterback, everyone really focuses in. And, and we saw, I mean, he once he was able to get some uh, some space there in some of the the rushing situations, he showed some bursts that I, I'm not sure a lot of people realize he has at his size. Um, able to accelerate pretty quickly. He had that 10-yard run. I think it was on his third play in the game uh, that moved the chains on a third and nine. That gave you a really nice indication of what he can do with his legs. Um, you know, I, and I think, you know, he's just a guy who seems to fire up this team. You know, we haven't had a lot of opportunities to to evaluate him in games, but he is clearly, clearly a valued member of this football team, of this offense on the practice field. You talk to all these players about what they see uh, that we don't see, uh, you know, away from away from the spotlight. And he, he must have some sensational plays on the practice field routinely. I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, and, and carrying over into this game, what does it do for you long-term? I, I think, you know, Look, Trace, we don't know where his knee is. You know, he limped out of the uh, of the media room, and, and you'd expect that to be hurting on Saturday night. Guarantee you this, it was hurting more on Sunday morning, and sometimes it, the second day after is the worst on, inju- on, on injuries like this. And, and we'll, you know, Monday's the day off for this team. I, I know James Franklin isn't going to shed a lot of light on Trace McSorley's health status ahead of this Michigan game. We'll probably, you know, we would assume get a look at him on Wednesday during the open practice session. But it's going to be a topic of conversation here in Happy Valley, in Ann Arbor, in the national media as they preview this game. You know, where is Trace right now? And that's going to lead to then Tommy Stevens. What's he about? Is he ready to step up in the big house if he needs to? Um, and I think there's a lot of confidence. Trace will be the first to tell you they feel like they can win football games with Tommy Stevens at quarterback. K.J. Hamler said the same exact thing. Ryan Bates echoed those sentiments after the game. And, I, I mean, James Franklin, you know, he, he couldn't say enough about the kind of teammate Tommy Stevens was because it almost sounded like uh, they told Tommy that, that he was going to be, you know, the guy maybe for that duration. Then Trace was kind of rallied, rebounded, convinced them he was ready. And Tommy had to take that back seat again. And he's shown time and time again for as much as he wants to, to get on that football field and be the quarterback for Penn State, uh, you know, he, he knows that, that it's Trace McSorley's decision, just like James Franklin and that staff said. It's, if Trace McSorley says he's good, we got to give him that benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you were listening to the post game or watching it, James Franklin did allude to, you know, they, they were planning on going with Tommy and Trace came out and said that I'm I'm going back in. And, and K.J. Hamler said the exact same thing. He said, wait, when did you find out that Trace was going back in the game? Well, it was in that huddle right before they took the field. So um, that's saying something. But back to Stevens for a second. I'm in the camp that, you know, he's, I think, the front runner. Uh, no question about it for the for the job after McSorley leaves. I think he's going to, you know, he's going to split reps with, with Clifford in the spring. But, you know, if he's staying, I think there's a reason he's staying. And I think he's perfectly capable of doing that. Um, moving beyond that, you mentioned Pat Fryermuth very quickly. Uh, that kid is 
is something. We mentioned last week he had his uh, 20th birthday. So the the 20-year-old freshman now has four touchdown passes in five Big Ten games, or excuse me, four touchdown catches in five Big Ten games. Uh, He's he's very, very impressive. Very impressive. impressive. And he's just involved on every big play. I mean, whether he's out there as a blocker or running routes downfield, it just feels like he has a, 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 a constant presence in this offensive attack. And for a true freshman to be able to just handle those responsibilities game in game out at this point I mean ever since you know the the Ohio State game he's been the guy I mean he has been the unquestioned guy at tight end we've seen plenty of Nick Bowers Jonathan Holland resurfaced in key moments uh when the first time we've seen him in a few weeks against Iowa but you know, I'll tell you what between between the the tight ends on that football field on Iowa's side and and with Fryermuth, outstanding outstanding tight end play on Saturday but Fryermuth, you know, those Iowa that Iowa tandem at tight end is probably the best that the Big Ten offers right now. But Pat Fryermuth is making his case as the tight end to watch in Big Ten football moving ahead. Yeah, he's certainly a freshman All-American uh, candidate. I think Brevin Jordan down at uh, Miami certainly is probably the, the, the first guy, but Fryermuth will, will certainly be in that conversation. Not that those awards are, are tremendously meaningful or anything like that, but still good to be on those lists. Now we're going to go to the bad. Uh, special teams, uh, I mean, the, they had the, the – Pinnaker was great. K.J. Hamler with the big return. Lamont Wade was very good as a gunner, um, as, as, as it's been noted. But man, that just that that whole unit—you've got a snap that goes through Blake, Blake Gillikin's hand. You got a snap that goes over Blake Gillikin's head. Kick coverage on the safety punt or the safety kick. I mean, just that there was not a lot going on, and and you know, it's just it's coming down on Phil Galliano. I mean, it's it's really been a situation on our boards at Lions twenty four seven the last couple of weeks where he's been questioned, and I think that's a completely fair observation because that, those groups have not been in the right spots, and they've they've really struggled to execute. Yeah, and and you know when you're a special teams coordinator, you're overseeing a lot, uh, and there's a small margin for error. And when an error happens, it's very easy to point toward that guy, and it's and it's been consistent for this Penn State uh, team. You know, it's it, it's it just seems like every game something pops up, and and this game was just kind of a you know the, the floodgates open. And you talk about two safeties on punt attempts; it's just completely inexcusable. And they were for two different reasons. The first, you know, Blake Gillikin can't get a hold on the ball. On the ball, the snap seemed to be just fine. Uh, and then he tries to punt it away, and, and obviously they were fortunate not for for that not to end up in an Iowa touchdown because that ball was wasn't rolling too fast out toward the end zone. And the other situation, you just got a snap that sails into the back of the end zone. That's the easiest two points Iowa will score this season. Um, and I think you know you look at the Blake Gillikin as a punter. Um, when he's actually able to get those kicks off, he came up with a key one late, and we got to give him credit for that, and I know we will. But the body of work, again, against Iowa wasn't where we thought it would be for, for Blake Gillikin coming into this season. You, know, you viewed him as a potential first-team All-Big Ten performer, has not met those expectations here in 2018, which has been you know just about as surprising as anything that we've learned about this squad. Uh, and, and it impacted them in, in field position a, a few times in this contest. Uh, you know, Iowa wasn't able to break a big punt return, but they were able to, to you know safely catch some of these and, and be set up w- with great field position. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. Uh, Gillikin has not been himself. He did come around with two really good kicks at the end of the game, but uh, I, I think if you even asked him, hasn't been hitting the ball as well as you would expect. Um, still really no flow with the wide receivers, as just as my segue leaves us with no flow in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> no flow with the wide receivers right now and the linebackers. Uh, I think they, they, they certainly still, this is, a, this is an issue that's been there all season long. We've talked about it a bunch. Uh, Jan Johnson's reps a little bit down. Koa Farmer's reps a little bit down. I know there's a lot of fans of that. Where Micah Parsons, Ellis Brooks starting to get on the field a little bit more. Parsons was on the field at the end of the game, albeit more of in a quarterback spiral. But at the same time, to trust your true freshman out there over your fifth-year senior, I think it says a lot about the direction that that position battle is going to go in. Yeah, uh, again, it was just about an even split there in terms of snaps between Parsons uh, and Farmer. That was consistent throughout the game. Um, and and with Cam Brown, he's the guy who's getting you know consistently far and away the most snaps out of this group. And, and it is notable that that Ellis Brooks is starting to to gain that traction and and getting these series to himself to see what he can do as a middle linebacker, just a redshirt freshman. These are important moments for him, not just this season, but to carry ahead. Uh, if he's looked to be the you know the guy at the heart of this defense, Jesse Lucchetta is going to certainly make a push for that down the road as well. But I think when you assess this linebacker group as well, the one thing you look for game to game that we still have not seen flash, and Brent Pry mentioned the need to get more of this coming out of the bye week, not getting after the quarterback w- with efficiency, you know, the, the not getting sacks, not really getting true pressures on the opposing quarterback. I think that's been game to game overall uh, when they're unleashing these guys and sending them on blitzes, particularly Micah Parsons when he noticed just not getting home enough times, uh, and, and that leaves you susceptible, uh, you know, downfield. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that's something that'll come. He's a natural pass rusher, and it was funny to watch him on the last drive because he was lined up uh, over a guard. He was lined up on the edge on one play, and he was just kind of following Noah Stanley around. And, and the one time that he actually did go after the quarterback, uh, Stanley ended up uh, scrambling for a first down. But uh, yeah, I think I think there's improvement there, and and we mentioned Brooks a little bit too. Kid seems to flash when he's out there. I know he's not the most athletic guy, but seems to have those instincts that some of those other guys are lacking and uh you know if uh you know you, you keep getting what you're getting out of cam brown and you see these younger guys making those strides as well you've got an opportunity to, to sort of grow and not to look past michigan because nobody's looking past michigan with wisconsin coming to town in a couple of weeks they need as many linebackers ready to go as they can have because uh, they're going to r- try and run the ball like crazy uh, i think i mentioned this o- earlier just it seems like an overall lap, lack of depth. You, you look at the snap counts, and, and there's a lot of guys playing, and there's a couple different reasons for that. I think you saw five different safeties in the game and six different linebackers, and you know the, there's, there's guys getting snaps, but just an overall lack of depth where if you compare them to some of the better teams in the conference and in the country, and I know there's the great to elite talk and all that kind of, uh, of stuff, but just Penn State just not there yet. And I think they'll get there. I mean, I really don't have many questions about the way that the staff has recruited, but I'm still seeing that the 2015, or excuse me, the 2016, 2017 holes in the recruiting class come through. And we talked about that last week, so we don't need to to rehash that. But the important thing um, with with that, with this win is really sets up Penn State for a tough trip to Michigan. Um, And you've got Wisconsin in two weeks, uh, which is a very winnable game. As we mentioned earlier, they lost to Northwestern, which you really didn't see coming, but Wisconsin fairly one-dimensional their quarterback situation not great right now so you know you were talking uh, earlier 
if you're pessimistic going through this three-game stretch of potentially going 0-3, well, you get that one win out of the way, and it looks uh, a lot clearer than it did just uh, even just five days ago. So um, I think that that sets Penn State up for a run. Important things to come out from that, uh, DeAndre Tompkins, if he can be a weapon for you, sort of puts a patch on that wide receiver problem that we've had um, or that, that we've talked about. Jake Pinneger hitting the field goal, same thing with the special teams. And I, I think a, uh, a big stride for the defense this week, the, forcing that big turnover at the end. I know it was kind of a blown play on Iowa's part, but to get that turnover in a crucial situation, it was huge for Nick Scott in that defense. Yeah, forcing turnovers. And I, <laughs> I think this is pretty much the first thing that, that James Franklin goes over every Tuesday press conference during the season is he starts with the turnover battle because every coach knows you win that turnover battle it drastically increases your opportunity to win a football game Uh, and Penn State there's been a lot of balls on the ground for fumbles where they have not been able to come away with it it happened I think three times uh, against Iowa early where three fumbles were were out there for the taking and and, and Nittany Lions defenders were around there and somehow a Hawkeye ends up with the ball Um, and that was huge you know that was it wasn't quite slamming the door because they had to do it again on on one more uh, defensive series against Iowa but that was a huge moment for this defense uh, and for a guy like Nick Scott who came to campus as a running back, has been on campus for five years, has really embraced his role on special teams, and now as a leader on defense, for him to be the guy who comes away with that interception and force that turnover, now that's a great moment for him and for that group. And they're going to need confidence. You know, this is a Michigan team that is not going to lack for confidence. You know, they are coming off of a bye week, and they have that entire bye week to think about how they walk the walk after talking the talk against Michigan State. They handled their business on the road against the Spartans. That exercise and demons for them from a pretty rough 2017 season. And now, you know, tell you what, this is another opportunity for that team to do it again because they certainly remember the way they were handled by Penn State last year, 28 unanswered points by the Nittany Lions in Beaver Stadium against Michigan in the whiteout setting. Um, At the time, Penn State was number two in the country. They avoided that loss to Michigan, and now Michigan knows it's all about getting to that Ohio State game with the one loss against Notre Dame. This is the, the biggest hurdle in their path to get there. I think the jury's still out on what Michigan can accomplish. Um, we don't know what Penn State's uh, all about right now, but for those who think this is some kind of David and Goliath situation, I think that short-sighted the track record these past three or four years uh, tells you a lot. Uh, you know, and I think Michigan. I'm not ready to to, to say that they're the you know, inevitable Big Ten champions and going to be going to the college football playoff. And I'm also not ready to say that that Penn State has has fallen a tier below the Michigan Wolverines. It's a big test for both teams. Happens to be in Ann Arbor, which is a, a huge edge, you would imagine. Um, and, and that's the last time, as we discussed uh, you know, before this podcast, it's the last time that Penn State did not carry a lead at some point in the fourth quarter of a game was that 2016 trip to Ann Arbor uh, where they were thrashed. They fell behind 28-0 at halftime. We'll talk a ton about this game later in the week, but just kind of a little bit of a teaser there from my end. Um, to me, this is this is far from a David Goliath situation. I do not care what the point spread is. I think it's in double digits coming into this game. I'm a big fan of Shea Patterson. You know, let's see. This is a prove-it game for Michigan just as much as it's a prove-it game uh, for Penn State, in my opinion. 
And if you're listening to the podcast playing the sports cliche drinking game, I'm sorry. That's um, that, that, that was a tough little rant that you had to endure right there. Um, but no, I agree with Tyler. It's going to be uh, a game that Penn State has to not not uh, they, they don't have to be perfect to win. And I think that's probably going to be a cliche that you hear um, because Penn State has struggled at times because Michigan is is looking pretty solid right now. Don't know that they're you know a, a no brainer uh, playoff team at this point, but certainly they, they have as good of an argument as anybody in the big 10 um but penn state's got to 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 finish they've got to be efficient and here's one thing they got to fall on a fumble i mean this is i've never seen anything like penn state's inability to recover a fumble over the last month or two of the season what is i think is 19 fumbles forced four fumbles recovered and just it, it just seems insane that none of these bounces are going their way you got, you know, it, sometimes you got to make your own luck. And, and, and I know people will say, you know, the ball, but there's been times where, you know, Penn state has had two or three guys around the football. You know, you got an opponent kind of working his way in and you just can't figure out how uh, a Nittany line doesn't come away with that and, and, and turn, turn possession over to the offense. And this is the kind of game where, where it does feel, uh, you know, th- th- those 50, 50 opportunities are, are going to could send this one swinging one way or the other, uh, add more cliches and, and all that into the conversation here, Sean, but, uh, I, I do think uh, uh, we'll, we'll see what McSorley's health is. I think that's really important here. Uh, but there's a lot of guys who have, you know, this will be their third game in, in this series on both ends of the football. And, and that means a lot of players in the football field on Saturday will have experience getting crushed by the opponent and crushing the opponent. So uh, you, you add in the new guys like Shea Patterson, KJ Hamler, and, and this has the recipe for, for a marquee matchup in Ann Arbor. I'm excited to get up there. Uh, be my first time to that stadium, and I think you know uh, Penn State. You know it's all out in front of you right now. What are you about? You go to Michigan and win this game. There's going to be a lot less discussion about what happened in Beaver Stadium the first weekend or the last weekend of September, and coming off of the bye week against Michigan State. It'll always be a major uh, you know chapter of this 2018 football team. But if you can go on the road, pick up this kind of win, it changes the narrative of this entire season. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. Sh- uh, shifting gears to recruiting now. Penn State hosted uh, one official visitor over the weekend. Mark Anthony Richards. By the way, Richards, his last name. Mark Anthony, his first name. I know that's been a, an issue for some people following. Um, but yeah, good visit for Penn State. Uh, Steve Wilfong talked to him after, uh, a- as he was on his way back to Florida, and you know picked up some pretty good vibes from him. I think Jaywan Cider is the, the the big thing here. I mean, Cider went to I think high school with with with. Uh, I almost messed it up with uh, Richard's mother. Um, so there's a connection there, a longtime connection there. Um, Penn State's looking at him as a running back, a guy that can also play receiver, be an athlete for you. And, you know, he's a pretty good one coming out of South Florida. And if uh, J. Juan Sider could, could land Richards and land John Dunmore, as, you know, it looks like he's, he's set to sign with Penn State in December, that's a, that's a hell of a start for, for a guy that uh, really, you know, you knew he was going to get into Florida at some point, but to get in right away in the first cycle and to, to get some of these guys would just be pretty incredible. Yeah, that will be yet another statement in South Florida, which is huge for this program. And these are guys who are wanted in the state of Florida by the universities down there, and they're wanted well beyond the Sunshine State. And interesting, you know, it's going to be an interesting few weeks here because you, you had Richards on campus for this one. Uh, and then a couple of weeks, we know Noah Kane's heading to campus for the Wisconsin matchup. And you continue to put a spotlight on that second uh, running back slot next to Devin Ford, who's been committed since May. And, you know, I think you throw in the fact that John Emery, 
very much viewed as a possibility for the LSU Tigers decommitting from Georgia at the tail end of last week. You know, that throws a new thing into the uh, into the situation for Penn State, because I think when you look at uh, both Tyrion Davis, who was on uh, uh, who was on campus as well. Uh, earlier this year, and then you throw in no, uh, Noah Kane. LSU's right there for both of them. So a lot of moving parts in the in the search for a running back. But the feedback that Steve got uh, from Richards, obviously, you got to feel good about that with Penn State. Still, imagine it's an uphill battle for the Nittany Lions. But all you needed to know the graphic that Penn State issued for his official visit featured a photo of uh, Jaywan Sider with a sign, uh, you know, with his name on it, as though he was picking him up at the airport. So yeah, I'd say he's a pretty central figure uh, in this pursuit. And that's great, but it really doesn't have anything to do with defensive tackles. Anyway, um, <laughs> Theo Johnson is a guy I wanted to touch on. Uh, I'm all out of whack here. A tight end from Canada. He was in this weekend. Penn State offered him at camp this year. Uh, I saw him at camp this year. I don't think you were. I think it was kind of in between jobs at that point, so I don't think you were there for that one. But impressive kid, 6'5". Um, he's bigger than Brenton Strange. Not as uh, fast, um, probably not quite as athletic as Brenton Strange, but Brenton Strange is a, a kind of a special athlete for a tight end. But Theo Johnson, I think a very real opportunity to see that pipeline continue um, into Ottawa and into um, a, into a really good tight end room right now. Yeah, I was on a severance pay vacation during that camp, so I did miss that one. But I will Poor say, guy. yeah, it was tough. I think I must have been stuck on a beach. But with Theo Johnson, I think he's listed 6'5", 235 on, the, on 24-7. Um, he looked taller than that. Now, I, he may have been 6'5", but I, I, just watching him on a football field that features a lot of big dudes, a lot of big coaches and players and other prospects, uh, this guy has serious length. I think I told you, I was thinking, I was looking at a Division One basketball forward prospect with Theo Johnson and uh, you know get the kid on campus you know I, th- I think he's going to get great feedback from Jonathan Sutherland Jesse Lucetta uh, who, have, who have you know made that transition from Ontario to Happy Valley in recent years Daniel Joseph of course a year older than that group um, and he's definitely an interesting guy and and you know he certainly looks the part I I, I need to see him in action uh, you know at, at the tight end spot but just watching him in football field Walking around uh, in street clothes, uh, the guy looks like a Division One Power Five top tier tight end prospect. But one final note: we're we're awaiting callbacks, and we've we've been in touch with these guys. But Penn State hosted Ohio State offensive line commit Doug Nestor, Louisville offensive line commit Zach Williamson, both of them from Spring Valley High School in Huntington, West Virginia. We talked a little bit about Wyatt Milliam from from Huntington Spring Valley last week on the podcast. We thought those guys might be coming along. Uh, needed to get a confirmation on that, but both of those guys were in town. Um, so Penn State still pushing it at, at a couple different offensive line spots and not sure how that's going to go. Committed players, you never know, but Ohio State seems fine with Doug Nestor. But you look at Louisville, the situation that they are in uh, is not a pretty one because they're trying to figure out how they're going to fire their coach. I don't think it's a matter of whether or not they want him out of there. It's how they're going to get the money to do so. And if that changes, all of a sudden some things change on that end because Williamson committed to Louisville. He's very tight with one of the ops guys there who's from West Virginia, who's played in West Virginia, coached in West Virginia. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's a, a fluid situation that's worth continuing to watch. Tyler Bowen was down there a couple of weeks ago to check out those guys, to check out Darnell Wright um, in Huntington as well. So Penn State making a little bit of a run right there. I, I, I would I would tend to think that Williamson is, is, is more likely than Nestor, but to get those guys on campus is certainly uh, turned some heads.
Nets. Yeah, so you're saying putting all your eggs in, in the Petrino basket for a second time didn't work out. What a, what a shock for Louisville, what they're going through at this point. And, yeah, I think you make a good point. You're, this is a stage of the season where you look at commitment flips and they are so directly correlated to the coaching staff situations. And, you know, once we get closer to Thanksgiving, you're going to start hearing – you know, unconfirmed reports, eventually confirmed reports that guys are on their way out of situations, whether it's coordinators, head coaches, that whole coaching carousel gets back up in action again. We know that, uh, you know, right here in Happy Valley last year, we saw the offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead. He was out of town by the end of, of uh, November, and he was off to his next stop at Mississippi State. So that's going to be a thing. And, I, and, and in my opinion, if you look at this offensive uh, at this class uh, in 2019 recruiting cycle for Penn State, the, which position may be the benefit of a commitment flip? To me, I think it's the, it's the offensive line, the tackle position that stands out. And remember, um, not you know, not not a whole lot to report on that front uh, aside from these visits since Zachary Franks decommitted after his very brief Penn State commitment. So I think that's still a spot. While we haven't talked about it a ton compared to some other places, running back, receiver, defensive line, uh, that's definitely a, a place to watch in this in this class. I think they want to get firmed up moving forward. Yeah, Ja'Kai Moore is still a big target there. Of course, they've got Anthony Wigan committed as well as Caden Wallace. They got the two guards committed, so that, that's a, kind of different. But um, you, you look across the board, there's not a ton of them out there, but Ja'Kai Moore still a, a big uh, target. And going back to, to, to Mark Anthony Richards here for a second Miami's doing you some favors Auburn's doing you some favors it's so crazy to think you know where when you're talking about making a decision for the next 40 years of your life how many or excuse me how much these wins and losses right now seem to be making a difference and and we say it's not always one um, one game or one win or one loss or whatnot but at the same time if you string together some losses and this was the biggest question that that I got after the Michigan State loss if they did happen to lose to Indiana or if they would lose three straight with Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, it's those uh, you know those the, those lapses in the season, those runs where they string string multiple losses together. I think that's the biggest impact. So you're seeing some some crazy things happen right now. I don't know it's going to be the most uh, active year in coaching changes. Heck, I thought Ed, Ed Orgeron would have been gone. Uh, you know, just coming into the season, but they've responded well. They're a top five team right now, so really anything can happen. But it's just crazy to follow, and I guess that's part of why we we, we spend so much time with recruiting. There is such attachment. Um, to recruiting with, with program trajectory. And, and I always say, look, the, the people are asking, oh, does the one-point loss to Ohio State you know, derail chances with this recruit or this recruit? And I always say, you know, if a guy's making a decision off of one game, he's not making, he's not approaching this decision the right way for his long-term future. But you can make a decision based on, you know, trends and, and where you think this program might be headed. And, um, you know, you look at a team like Miami, they're a perfect example. Last year, they rise up to number two in the country, heading on the road at Pitt. Um, since then, they have really struggled to beat any Power 5 opponents. It, it's been a completely, you know, f- reversal of where their fortunes were at this time last year, and all of a sudden, what looked very appealing to recruits last year, maybe you're thinking, uh, is Mark Rick going to be the guy for them long term? Is this is Miami really back like everyone was saying last year? And that's just one example. Auburn's been a roller coaster for for much of the past decade uh, in terms of being a championship contender and then being a team that that struggles to win eight games in a season. And and Penn State, the most important thing you can stress is consistency. Mentioned before, 31 consecutive games with the lead in the fourth quarter. They did not win five of those games, but this is not a Penn State team that has shown itself to this point in the last three years of James Franklin putting his roster together, 
They have not been a program that's been susceptible to sustained stretches of mediocrity. Um, you know, they, they've had blemishes here and there, but, you know, you look back to their turning point in 2016, which is now more than two years in the making, um, you know, it, they've had a nice run where they've avoided too long, uh, uh, you know, negative stretches like, like the kind that you're seeing some teams endure right now across college football. And stat of the week, Miami's 2020 class. And keep in mind, Penn State does not have a 2020 commit, which I'm sure most of you are aware of. 5D commitments in the cycle already for 2020 kids. Um, it's just crazy to think about. Southern recruiting, man, it's, it's insane. No one is better at putting together a number one recruiting class two days away from National Signing Day than the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, every year, it seems, they have like the best group of high school sophomores committed. They're number one in those initial rankings for whatever year it may be. And then piece by piece, you know, it starts to unravel. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the same old story for them. And, and that's another thing. Penn State, you, you know, I know fans have been weathering the storm here the past four weeks, and they've been wondering what this team's about. And, and twice they saw the team give up late leads, and twice they saw them, you know, struggle at times to put away other teams. But but guess what? You know, these recruits, they're holding pat. You know, when John Dunmore is a guy who sounds like he's going to be here and signing in December at this stage, considering his lack of proximity to campus and the other options he has on the table, I think that speaks volumes about how this coaching staff uh, and support staff has put themselves in a position to make it about a lot more than the win-loss column week to week. It is about a sustained communication, a sustained relationship that they are selling will extend you know, into 2019, 2020, 2021, and, and, be, and the rest of these young men's lives. Exactly. And Jay Wan Sider, invaluable in that in that aspect. Of course, Dunmore is committed. Penn State's still after Mark Anthony Richards, Noah Kane, and a bunch of guys in South Florida that, you know, may pop up. Cam Williams popped up. He's he's going to end up signing with Miami, but Cam Williams came up or excuse me, popped up on an official visit for the Ohio State game. So just kind of these random things. And, and Sider has these relationships with these high schools. There's very few people more well-respected in South Florida than Jay Wan Sider. And he's been able to milk that and get kids up to campus, which is not an easy thing to do coming from Miami and the, and the surrounding areas. And it's just uh, it's, it's a long way from where Penn State was just a few years ago. We are a long way from when we started this podcast. We're well over an hour right now, or probably not well over an hour, but we're over an hour right now. Um, we've got another episode coming up later this week. We'll talk a little bit more Michigan, but uh, I hope we recapped the Iowa cluster as, as best we could. Like I said, at the end, it was a 30 to 24 win for Penn State. We appreciate you uh, following along listening along checking us out at lions247.com and if you haven't checked out tyler's story on the mcsorley conversation with rick mcsorley who if you're listening he can beat you up too um is uh is is really a good read and you should check that out you can listen to us on itunes you can listen to us on spotify check us out every day at lions247.com and we will join you later this week thanks for joining us Ah uh...